0: Hi, and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. My name is Adela, and I'm the founder of PBC. For those of you who are new listeners, PBC is like book club, but for podcasts. Every month, we put out a thematic podcast listening list and then get together, usually in person, but over Zoom these days, all over the world to discuss and swap podcast recs. To learn more or join us, go to podcastbrunchclub.com. This podcast is a side project from the larger community, And in some episodes, we'll discuss the monthly podcast playlist, and in others, we'll invite podcasters that we want to talk to on the show. That is what is happening today. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Chris Gethard, host of Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People, also known as Beautiful Anonymous. And the premise of the podcast is this, one phone call, one hour, no names, no holds barred. Every week, Chris opens up the phone line to one anonymous caller, and he can't hang up first, no matter what. And the result is truly the name of the podcast, Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. Hi, Chris, and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. What a lovely way to spend an afternoon.
0: Yeah, we're so happy to have you. So before we get started and dig in... um, Beautiful Anonymous is very popular and has a really active community around it, but just for those listeners who are not familiar with it, can you just give us a little bit of an overview?
1: Sure. It's a really simple show. Um, There's not much to wrap your head around. Basically, I put a phone number on the internet that lets people know when we're recording the show, and they call in, and then one of them gets through, and I talk to that person for an hour, and the only two rules are they don't tell me their name they stay anonymous and i'm not allowed to hang up first so that's pretty much it it's i take phone calls and i have to listen they get to talk that's it we found that uh the anonymity side of it i had a strong gut instinct uh when i was coming up with the show that that proved correct which is that people are very willing to spill their guts if they don't have to worry about you knowing who they are. So that's kind of it. That's kind of the show, phone calls, phone calls with people oversharing. That's pretty much it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, so one thing about the Podcast Brunch Club community is that, you know, it's a listener community and I try to weave in the voices of our listeners and the community as much as possible. So I'm just going to, throughout the interview, I'll be weaving in some questions from both the beautiful anonymous community and the Podcast French Club community. And this next question comes from Melina in California. And she asks, when you first signed up to do Beautiful Anonymous, what were your expectations? And after four years, how has it met your expectations? And what are some of the biggest surprises?
1: Well, it's totally surprised me. It's completely exceeded my expectations. Anyone who listens to the show over the years has has heard me really, really marvel at this, which is, I have a whole past as a comedian, and I, w- I would not classify the show as a comedy show, but it's on the Earwolf Network. If your listeners know Earwolf, it's one of the biggest comedy okay. networks there is, one of the earliest ones that came about. And I definitely wound up there because everybody thought, oh, you're a comedian, you're a good cultural fit for what we do. And in my past as a comedian, I had a television show, and it was on cable for a while, but uh, I think... For the bulk of its run, what people really loved was it was actually a public access television show. And we took phone calls constantly. So I'd been taking phone calls for years. And the people who would call me, they kind of fit the demographic of who you'd expect to watch a public access comedy show. Those were kind of my people. It was like nerds and punk rockers who liked public access TV. So I figured this would be an extension of that. Part of the reason I started the show was my TV show went to cable. I knew that we weren't going to be able to just take phone calls that meandered because there are commercial breaks and consequences and stakes now. So I figured this was just a way to kind of stay connected with with those people in that format. And instead, pretty much immediately, it attracted literally hundreds of thousands of non-comedy fans. And one of the things that I think has... Made beautiful, anonymous, as strong as it is is we have very dedicated listenership of of women, many of them moms, many of them uh you know above thirty, forty, fifty years old, which I don't think anybody who saw my career prior to this show would say, yeah you're the demographic that's going to flock to you the most is uh you know moms in their fifties, but it really blew my mind, and for about the first year, I would say, I made a lot of jokes about how it made me insecure. And those jokes were true because so I'm sitting there going, well, I've built my whole career towards one thing. And now it's just this huge tangent that went in a different direction with more listeners than I've, more response than I've ever gotten for anything else I've ever done. And I had to kind of take a deep breath at a certain point and remember that the more I learned about doing this show the more I had to realize it was not about me, it was not about my ego, that people were really, really into the idea that it was a platform for them. So I kind of had to get out of the way, get out of their way, get out mm-hmm. of my own way and just say, this is a really beautiful thing I got going and I have to stop being insecure about that side of it.
0: I mean, that's a perfect yeah, <laughs> That's a perfect segue to the next question from, um, from somebody. I have an audio question here, so let me play it for you. Hi, this is Abby from Athens, Georgia. Um, I have been a longtime listener of Beautiful Anonymous, and I have always wondered about the name of the podcast. Uh, Chris has said multiple times throughout the show that he had expected the calls to come from outrageous characters calling to
1: mess with him and did not expect the level of sincerity um, the callers have had. Was the name Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People... Picked ironically with this in mind, because you knew the stories would not be so beautiful, or was there always some suspicion the podcast would turn out the way it has? Either way, you really hit the nail on the head. Uh, thank you so much for the show. It's exactly what we need right now. <laughs> well, that's uh, really, really Kind and Abby, thank you. And I've always wanted to visit Athens, Georgia, and I haven't had the chance yet. And I keep telling my stand-up agents, get me a gig in Athens, Georgia. It seems like my kind of town, so maybe we'll meet someday. Um what a good question. I want to be clear. i I definitely have talked about oh, I thought it would just be people pranking me and things like this and that. But if you I'm I'm always a little too self deprecating about my own work. I'm I'm often guided a little bit by insecurity and and uh, the need to avoid coming off as pretentious in any way. But if you go back and watch my old TV show, there were actually a lot, a lot of phone calls that that uh, were, were very emotional and, and uh, where people were, their hearts on their sleeves. And I think I have always been good at fostering that. You know, I remember a call where someone called into my public access show on a Wednesday night and his wife had told him she wanted a divorce Wednesday morning. Like He called and talked to us for... About 20 minutes of our hour-long show um we had a call from someone who called after his brother's uh body was discovered his brother had uh passed away a number of calls like that i remember one of the things that has meant the most to me in my life actually was there's a kid who used to call me he was 14 when he started calling and he would just mess with me and i would really i would really allow it to happen and, and kind of even set myself up for it as a comedian and uh years later someone I asked him on a podcast they were it was a, a fan podcast dedicated to my tv show and they said you know you you called so for so many years you were the first caller it always started with this one kid if he was on the line i said we're starting with him and they said how come you how come you kept doing it and he said well you know uh he had talked to us on the show his parents had been divorced and he had no confidence and uh He said, you know, I used to call up and prank the show and mess with this guy. And then at a certain point, I realized, oh, he's actually the only adult in my life who listens to me. He actually listens for as much as I'm messing with him. So I've always spoken to people who feel like nobody really cares what they have to say and who want to feel empowered and be given a place to say it. My TV show is that for young punk rock kids and the podcast. It's hitting the same button. I just didn't realize that middle-aged women are kind of in a very punk rock era of history that they're kind of more punk rock than anybody right now. Cause they're like, nah, we're not going to, we're not going to take misogyny. We're going to call me too on people. We're going to make sure people get actually held accountable for all sorts of things. And, and we are going to rattle the chains. We're going to March by the millions on DC and we're going to define who becomes president. So Abby, I think the question was, um, I knew what the show is going to be. I knew the name fit what I did. I just didn't expect the people who wanted to fit into it to come flocking to it. So I hope mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's also the most blunt, accurate title of a show maybe ever. you can get going to yeah. get stories from people who don't tell me their names. Uh, beautiful stories, anonymous people. Let's do it. That was about as hard as I thought about it. And I also have always liked the long name. I enjoy a good long mm-hmm. name for a thing.
0: And you've got the the little shortcut too. So you've got beautiful and the BA. Yeah. Yeah. You got the long formal name. You got
1: the cool nickname. I'm pretty, I've always been into that. I've always been into that. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you talked a little bit about, about giving voice to people who don't typically have a voice and part of, I think part of what is um, really interesting about having you as a guest on Podcast Brunch Club is that there's some similar strands. Like we, we don't, we're not anonymous. You know, our, our community meets up oftentimes in person, not obviously during the pandemic, but we have chapters in China that aren't still meeting and are now meeting in person again in cool. some other countries. Um, but, but one of the the beautiful things that I realized about it and I didn't realize about it until way later. And after I launched it was the idea of talking to strangers and how, invigorating and empower and empowering, but also important it is. And I have my own thoughts about why it's important, but I'd love to hear, I mean, this is what you do. Like, the, the, And the, for you, it's, an, there's an added level of them being anonymous. So I'd love to hear about your thoughts about that. I think
1: what the show has taught me on that note is we feel very, you know, it's, it's not, it's not breaking news to say that we're in polarized times. It's not breaking news to say that social media has a real effect on, um, you know, we, we craft these more extreme visions of ourselves very often. We say things that we would never say to someone's face. We live on the extremes more. You know, there's platforms where the anonymity of the internet actually leads to a lot of toxic bile. Um, I think the anonymity on my show is is sort of the exact opposite extreme. But I think the real joy in talking to strangers for me, and, and I've heard a lot of feedback about the show from the listeners who love it, is it's kind of a reminder that someone might walk down your block, and they're walking your dog, their dog, and you might just wave at them and say hi, and they might wave and say hi back, and then you walk away and you never see that person again. But I think my show has taught me and and a lot of other people something i didn't expect which was that person might have a story that person might be going through something right now that you would never see that person might have grown up in a way that you can't imagine you know like i had callers who call up to explain what it's like to escape from a religious cult and i'm sure if you're behind them online at a starbucks you would never know that I, you know i i talked to someone who was calling from the waiting room of a hospital where her daughter was awaiting Test results for for a cancer diagnosis. That's someone who you might honk on your horn if they if if they're speeding down the highway, and you might never consider they're they're trying to get their kid to the hospital. You know, so I think by talking to one stranger, it leads to an individual giving benefit of the doubt to many more strangers. There's a warmth, there's a kindness, and there's maybe something that they don't have a word for, which is extending empathy to someone before you know their story, where it's unconditional, Mm -hmm. where it's not. I think a lot of the listeners to my show and and what I've learned is like, I don't need to be convinced about someone having a tough time or a hard life. I assume that they have the sides of themselves that struggle. And before they say a word, I now know that, I'm going to be a human and try to hear them out as a human. They don't have to go on Facebook and fight about it. They don't have to post links to a think piece. They don't have to, you know, send out a tweet that's full of the anger behind it. I'm just going to be somebody who goes, what's your deal? And even if I don't know your deal, I'm going to assume you have one. And I'm going to assume that you deserve some respect and some dignity. I know that's kind of heavy stuff and very pretentious, but it is, I think, what the show has taught me about strangers is everybody's got something, right? And mm-hmm. I think the world would be a kinder place if we just started from that assumption.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, gosh, I f- I feel like we should make up a word for like empathy before you know somebody because that's such a good point. You know, it's 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 not about. I mean, I, I literally wrote down empathy as you were talking before you said the word. But I I see it from a different perspective now, because what you're saying is you're, you're not forcing anybody to convince you of anything. Like you're talking about like the think piece, like people do that because they feel like they need to convince everybody else that they're struggling or they have to, there's, there's like a whole, I don't know, like influence thing that people feel like they have to, you know, put it out there and convince everybody that they're struggling or convince everybody that they're right or convince everybody that they're, you know, successful or whatever, and what you're saying is you're coming you're just like, you don't have to do that, I'm just gonna come in assuming that that is all true
1: yeah and and it's the people who listen to it have taught me because you would think that for a show that's just one on one with an anonymous human being, that's actually an idea that doesn't lend itself towards the idea of community, but the community around it is very strong, and I feel lucky because I go on the road and do live shows, even when I go on the road and do stand up. The majority of my fans now are beautiful, anonymous listeners, many people who would never step foot in a stand-up club otherwise, which is so cool. But I remember I did a tour of the South close to two years ago, Tennessee, Alabama, North Carolina, Georgia. And this was around the 2018 midterm elections when we're just being constantly fed, like I said links and Facebook posts and all this stuff that's just America's divided, Americans hate each other, we should just split up the country civil war is on the way and this is on my mind obviously too because it's November 2nd 2020 but I remember so vividly going to these cities and very quickly realizing and I would say a version of this on stage where I'd go I'm a, I'm a New York liberal artist who has talked publicly about how proud I am to be in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's district. I was in her district when I talked. I've talked probably about how exciting it is. And I've been bracing myself for you guys to not like me. And before I got here, I bet some of you guys did assume that I'm just like a literal communist. And I'm probably assuming that you guys love guns so much that some of you have them on you at this show. But in reality, <laughs> here's what happens. Is you guys are coming out because you want to laugh and a drink, and then you got to get home to let the babysitter off the hook because you really love your kids. And guess what? That's exactly what's happening in New York with every family I know. And we're not as divided as we think because people all over the world have a small handful of basic concerns. Take care of your families, have a good meal, have a good laugh, you know, when we can get past all this stuff, we're spoon fed that a lot of online platforms make money by getting us mad. You start to realize we have way more in common than we do different.
0: As you were talking, I, I wrote a couple notes here. And, you know, one of the things that I feel is really great about the idea of talking to strangers and and whether they're anonymous or not is that, like, what it almost like, It almost counteracts all the news media that I consume that is constantly telling me there are, you know, everybody that you don't know is terrible and evil, Mm -hmm. like which is essentially the message that I feel like is coming out of news is like, oh, those people over there are doing this horrible thing and those people over there are doing those this horrible thing. But then I get to get together four times a month in my case, but for most people, one time a month and meet with people most of the time in my area, but sometimes not if we're doing a a Zoom or a a virtual meeting and like realizing that actually, you know, I think 99% of the people in this world are just like really good, decent people. I mean, there might be the contingent that are just like terrible people, like legitimately, you know, terrible. But like the fact of the matter is that like. 99% if not more are just good good people and we just have our guards up because we've been like indoctrinated that that's not the case
1: you know I think that's totally true and I think I think that a lot of modern technology has made us sort of view humanity as theoretical as there's Mm -hmm. a theoretical person out there who hates you and hates your values Right, and they're being told there's a theoretical version of me that hates them and their lives. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate people. Mm-hmm. I, I get. I live in the northeast. I lived in New York City for 16 years. Where if you have a gun, you have bad intentions. And then I drive around the south, and I'm like, oh yeah, I get that. If you lived here, and uh, the nearest police station's 11 miles away, you might need a gun in your house to protect your family. Okay, I hate it. I hate guns, but I see why you. Want. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not mad at you. We just think differently. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not here trying to take your gun and melt it, and you're not trying to show up in my apartment complex. Like, like, These are theoretical humans that don't, like you said, they exist, but they're not having an impact on my daily life. And when I meet real people, they're generally pretty lovely. They're generally pretty lovely, and I'm, I'm pretty thrilled that my job has become this podcast where I just get to talk to them. Connecting with even one person, again, I think can kind of adjust your mentality where you drop the premise that there's all these theoretical people out there scheming nefariously. It's just not the Mm -hmm. case for most of us. It's not the case for most of us.
0: Agreed. I mean, I think people use the internet and social media to sort of hide behind a screen And so, you know, they have their little avatars and that's who they are. And, you know, but yeah, so like, I think that getting out there talking to people that maybe aren't like you is also really important just to understand people on the other side of whatever divide we're, you know, we're talking about today, which there are millions. But, um, but like, do you have tips for or advice for listeners who might want to build that into their lives more, like in a practical way? I mean... I feel like the pandemic has just thrown a wrench into everything, you know, meeting in person, you know, finding true and authentic connection, all of that. But I mean, is it just like talking to the cashier? Is it, you know?
1: The truth of the matter is it's a very hard question for me to answer because for a guy who has, you know, made his profession going on stage as a comedian, going on TV and now making a podcast that. It, the podcast is now like the foundation of my career, and I talk to other people i'm I'm actually one of the shyest human beings you will ever meet in real life um uh, and I actually now that I'm you know forty and I'm a dad, I think I've been able to take a breath and kind of kind of look at who I am and go, "Oh well, the reason I've done all those things is I've always felt a pretty profound lack of connection with other people. High school was hard for me college was brutal with with the depression i think i always i spent my formative years not trusting people and not um not letting them in and i really regret that i really regret that and i think i'm trying to kind of make up for it now and i think i've had to make artistic projects just to have connections with people as far as talking to strangers goes i had to say because i'm the guy who talks to strangers i wish i knew more it might be talking to the cashier it might be uh, letting your, I think a lot of that also depends on where you live, right? Like I moved out of New York City and now I'm in a like semi-suburban, semi-rural area where everybody says hello to each other all the time because that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. So moving out of a big city can help where everybody's fast paced. But what I might say as a starting point is is don't start with strangers and really think about when was the last time you checked in with that person you already know? when was the last time you checked in with them and it wasn't via text? When was the last time you picked up the phone? When was the last time you said, hey, even right now, socially distanced, let's actually hang out? It's really kind of sad to me, but I had a conversation with someone in my family the other day where usually when this person calls, it's just very quick. Hey, figured to check in. This is a family member. Here's what I'm up to. All right, I'll see you later. And then this time the person asked me how I was doing and actually listened. And we were on the phone like 25 more minutes and I can't tell you how much that meant to me. That somebody actually said, like, so what's up with you? And then just sat back and listened. And I don't know that that needs to start with strangers because I think a lot of people hearing me right now might nod their heads in agreement of we actually have let a lot of our friendships become acquaintances and a lot of our acquaintances become strangers. So it might might. Be as simple as restarting some of the relationships you already have or had and realizing just because you see somebody's Instagram posts and you know they're doing okay, it doesn't really take the place of of actually talking to
0: them. Well, to that end, do you feel like being the host of the podcast has changed the way that you interact with people and your you know your friends and family? Are you finding yourself... I don't know, listening in a different way or interacting in a different way.
1: It's actually really tough at times because it's like my producer Jared, who who listeners to the show know that like he has been like the the backbone of the whole thing in many ways. He's the one who allows me to just go, I'll tweet out the phone number now. He recently said we were on like a Zoom call with a bunch of people from the Earwolf network. They were talking about the show and he he jumped in at one point. It meant the world to me. He's like I also just want to say, Chris is like talking about, you know, you're, you know, you have these meetings, okay, here's how we can increase listeners. maybe we should, do you want these types of advertised? And then I'm like, oh, well, I think this and that. And Jared jumped in and was like, well, Chris is never going to say this, but I just want to say like, let's not forget that part of why the show works is he's really good at it. He's just really good at talking to strangers. Like, so I sometimes forget that, but I'll tell you that loops me back around to answer your question, which is that. I wish I put my money where my mouth is more with my family. And like, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm going, I got to check in with my college buddy, Mike. Like it's been a while (laughs) because like everybody, you know, anybody who's in a marriage knows sometimes you have a disagreement or two. And I will say that I I don't know that I've talked about this publicly before, but it is sad that a few times my wife has had to go, you're not listening to me. And I'll tell you what, there's a few times where she goes, The fact that you're not listening, which I think probably every dumb, dopey white guy in his 40s husband who's tired from raising an 18-month-old has a moment where they're not listening. I admit it. I cop to it. I'm not perfect. But then to hear her say, and you know, it stings a little bit more because you're Mr. Listening. You're Mr. Empathy, huh? Like your whole (laughs) life is listening. And I can't get you to uh, stop checking the scores on the basketball game to actually hear me right. And I'll be like, all right, I'm going on airplane mode. You're right. That breaks my heart. So I'm as bad as anybody with all this stuff. And I think the sad answer to your question is that I make the same mistakes as everybody else. Yeah. And in fact, the fact that I'm good at this professionally sometimes actually only makes that sting more for the people mm-hmm. in my life when I drop them Or
0: all. even harder to implement. Like if that's what you're doing. You know, I can imagine that even like, let's just say like a therapist who's like their whole career or their whole day, all their... Are- their entire day is like listening to other people. The idea of coming back home and listening to their husband or whatever, yeah. a, you know, gripe about their problems might not be the easiest thing in the world. Especially when
1: um, there's a couple of things. Not all the calls are pleasant to hear. A mm-hmm. lot of times people call and they go, Hey, I haven't really told anybody this, but I've listened to the show. You're a good listener. So t- and it'll be something that's hard to hear. So sometimes Stuff And then sometimes people come up to me in person. Sometimes it's after a show. Sometimes it'll just be somebody will run into me and be like, oh, wait, you're that guy. You do the podcast, right? And I'll be like, yeah. And then they'll pull me aside and go, so here's the worst thing that ever happened to me, man. And I'll go, I am off the clock right now. And I am so sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. That sounds awful and brutal. But also, I I do just kind of want to... (laughs) <laughs> wait for the wait for them to call my order number so I could take my bagel and go home you know like and I'd say that not to be yeah. unkind to the people who support me and listen to me it's it's extraordinarily flattering and and I would say 90% of the time I'm actually down to stop what I'm doing and have a conversation but that other 10% of the time I go I, I think I might I think the tank might be a little overfilled and then sometimes i do go home and shut down a little bit about it and then sometimes we'll have really fun ones where i'll be like oh we just taped to record it one. this one's coming out tomorrow so i don't think it'll spoil it for your listeners but like last week uh i we got this guy who just loves groundhog day he's just really into groundhog day love the day the
0: day or the movie thing.
1: no the, the day he has a website where he tracks all the different animals that predict the weather Every Groundhog Day, he looks up what each of them have predicted. He chronicles it. He has Groundhog Day T-shirts. He's trying to hope that he can sell enough T-shirts to make it his job. He's not. It's not going well. He just loves Groundhog Day, and that's the whole episode. And then we had another one before that that was, um, so uh, how would I even phrase it? the 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 episode we we taped two on the same day, the one we had done earlier in the day was so intense that after the call, I actually stayed on the line with the caller for about another twenty to twenty five minutes just making sure they were all right and making sure that they wow. felt okay about it being aired. Those are in the same day,
0: yeah, so well, you can
1: imagine sometimes that affects my ability to sort of yeah. get out of my own yeah. head for the rest of the day,
0: so I'm wondering though like. There are these calls I've listened to, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes, that you wrote a Medium article with all your favorite episodes. And so I'll link to that just so that our listeners can can also go back and check it out. But there was one on there that was about... Um, Well, my question is, and uh, is like, do you ever get really sad when you have to say goodbye, knowing that you're never going to talk to the person again? And the episode in particular that I'm thinking of is the one called, I think, My Aussie Friend or Aussie Friend.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Aussie Best Friend, I think it's called. Yeah. It's a, it is tough. Like, it's tough because for the sad ones, I just, I'm going to wonder if the people are doing okay. And then for those, like, that was a live show in Baltimore at this great venue called the Otto Bar. And the live shows are real hit and miss, you know, because there's, you know, you got 200 people in the room watching you take a phone call. And that's it. You don't know. And generally, actually, the crowds are super psyched and very supportive at the vibe. But that one, this guy, we just realized, man, like, we both like comic books. We both like the same types of stuff. And I just realized during the call I was like man if we knew each other we'd be we'd be friends we'd be pals he's like I've always thought that Listen to this show I'm like 100% I'm feeling it too and there's just this kind of gushing and you know it's it's a uh, we do have the beautiful follow up series we do that on Stitcher Premium um so I did get to touch base with him again it's actually the only time we did we did the uh, that one via Skype just cuz I was like oh, fun. I, I just want to know what this guy looks like I want to make eye contact with this dude that was funny. He had a really great jacket. Very, very great jacket. He looked good in that jacket. Um, but even then, it's like I only get to talk to the people twice. You know, it's, what's really, really cool is sometimes when I go out and do the live shows, or the, like I said, stand-up, someone will come up to me and just whisper like,
0: Okay, oh, they'll uh, tell
1: you the one the person <laughs> that, yeah and that's happened probably 20 times I probably met like 20 or 30 callers in real life and and oftentimes it's just a secret they'll just lean over to me and be like i'm the opera singer and i'll go oh <laughs> hi nice to meet you or like one of my favorite people in the world is there was a caller named 39 year old grandma she had a grandkid when she was 39 lovely person just such a joy such a joy and um I've now met her after two or three shows, and we we just did a follow up show where I was able to say like you're just so fun and like your personality on the phone is exactly what it was. Her husband is this like really sweet, good looking dude. It's like yeah, like so I get to meet people in person sometimes, but the large majority we've done over 250 episodes now, and I would say about 220 of them. I'll never have any idea ever again how they're doing and I'll wonder forever but
0: it's um, hard. It's like it's the gig, yeah. right? I, I yeah. decided what the
1: show was. So
0: Yeah. So um I want to talk a little bit about your the BA community, your Facebook community. Um mm-hmm, can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about I mean it's huge. How did that start? Was it, you know, listener generated or did you start like how did this whole thing happen?
1: I'm really uh really amazed, continuously amazed by it. Again, it's a show where I talk to one person at a time, and you don't even know who they are. And this community has, has sprung up. It, it's wild. I, th- if that, I think it's it's above 30,000. It might be coming up on 40,000 people in that Facebook group. And at one point, I was told it's one of the largest Facebook communities surrounding a podcast, which, which blows my mind. It started because when This American Life featured us, I mean... Nobody saw this coming. They reached out out of the blue. One of their producers was like, "I heard the first ever your show, man. I like it. Can we re-air it?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, <laughs> of course. I'm not. I'm not dumb." And I mean, it was getting five hundred thousand downloads an episode in its first handful of weeks. I was like, "What is going on?" You know. So because of my past the community, communion, especially with my TV show, I, I did. I've always been good at community building. My instinct has always been. When I'm working on stuff, rally a bunch of other comedians I like. Let's all get together in a room and do it together. With the old TV show, you'd see the people in the studio. They were the same people there every week. Usually, the callers would recur. I'd remember who they were. We all felt like we got to know each other. There were times where, like, there was a guy named Fred from Honolulu who used to call our show all the time. Then he visited. We visited New York and dropped by the studio, and we're all like, Fred. You know, like we. I've always really loved that sense of community again as someone who's always felt a little bit like an outcast growing up i think it always felt like smart and safe to me to be like okay my work is going to get me the other people who are like me let's round them up get them together so it was really important to me and and what i did which i in hindsight i think was smart was rather than just start it i you know i was getting so much social media feedback when that show was was going that strong and it it does not still have those numbers um but i realized okay we got something special here so what i did was i actually went on facebook and posted hey a lot of beautiful anonymous fans are reaching out to me if any of you are facebook savvy and want to help me with something i'd really appreciate it and i got dozens and dozens of people saying yeah what's this about And i said well i want to start a facebook group for the show and then a whole bunch of people went, yeah, that's not really my thing. And then a whole bunch of other people said, yeah, no, I think I'd be down to help out with that. And uh, then what I did was I tried to just say, all right, let me pick. Seems like we got some younger people, some older people. We got some people of this background, some people of that background. Let me just try to make it like a nice broad group of people, helping to keep an eye on all this stuff. And over the years, some of those moderators have come and gone. Uh And now the group just kind of runs itself. It's really lovely. For a guy who's kind of expressed so much trepidation in the course of this conversation about Facebook, I would argue our Facebook group has got to be one of the most pleasant corners of Facebook. The episodes go up, we discuss them. Nine times out of 10 people list the positive more often than enough, people hate an episode. They will at worst just say like, this one wasn't really my thing. Usually people just go, if I don't have anything kind to say, I'll just not be part of the discussion on this one. And I feel really lucky. And there's there's one guy who was one of the first people to sign up. I always laugh about it because there's so many great moderators. And I got a lot of appreciation from of them. There's this guy named Sam J. Hodge who uh he sent me a message and he's like, yeah, you know, I've helped build a couple of these. It's a real pain. So he's like, I'm happy to like help jump in and maybe help you set it up and give some advice because I've done it before. And then I got to duck mm-hmm. out, man. It, it, it's, and four years later, still he's still there. <laughs> and he was the he was the one in the early days of this thing who was the, wrangling it the most. And I always, <laughs> but now whenever I go to Atlanta, I see Sam nice. when he comes through New York, I see him and I got like, uh, I got one of these beautiful anonymous little mini friendships yeah. out of it. It's a cool yeah.
0: thing. Well, that's pretty awesome.
1: So I'm just lucky. I'm lucky that there were people who care. And there's been other other examples of that too that blow my mind with the community. Like we had a caller, which I did not see this coming. This one blindsided me. We had a deaf
0: caller. Oh, I listened to that Someone one. Someone called The Show,
1: mm-hmm. which in my mind, very ignorant of me, I'm sitting here going, how can deaf people even experience podcasts? I just didn't see it coming. Well, he gets transcripts made of every episode. Blew my mind. And then I realized, man, He shouldn't be paying for these transcripts. We should do that. Some podcasts do that. We weren't doing that. And now we use a system where these transcripts automatically generate. We just have to proofread them. But for years, the way we were chipping away at that was volunteers in that Facebook community were going back, listening to episodes, transcribing. And that's not an easy thing for an hour-long conversation. So the community is just really giving, really kind, and really strong.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Lucky. I'm a lucky guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of community building. I mean, that's what I'm hoping I'm building with podcast brunch club, but um, you know, one of the things that I think sort of in the larger scheme of things in terms of community is just, I think people are seriously craving it because, um, because partially I think because of social media and the internet, it makes you feel like you're in a community, you know, but you're not really in a community. I think they're also like, You know, religious communities are just not as, you know, people aren't participating in religious communities, and that used to be the way that people found community. And so, like, I really feel like there's this religion 2.0 sort of thing that needs to happen, or that might, that maybe is in the works. That you know, people, and I think with the pandemic, people are starting to realize how much community, how how important community is. So, yeah, there's so much around
1: for a few years now. My gears have been really turning where my prediction is that a lot of people are going to start saying, How can I make my life intentionally a little bit smaller? Like when I was growing up as a kid, I watched the nightly news. There were four options for that. And the local news was in a half hour, and then the the national news was an hour. And now we have at least four or five 24-hour news networks. We have the internet. I think there's going to be people who are looking to make their mm-hmm. life smaller, yeah. people who are embracing smaller communities, communities that champion things, that Just represent- downsizing. Yeah, downsizing, representing yeah. the community itself and not feeling this constant need to go, I have to shout
0: my opinion- powder exactly and bigger. Exactly, yeah. into what is ultimately mm-hmm. a
1: void, you know?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you're bringing up something that I think is called the paradox of choice there's um some actual social science research around this idea that there's a very finite amount of like choices that humans can be given before it just becomes way too overwhelming and they check out so like i think that um the number is something like 7 right so like it's you can go much, to a grocery store smaller
1: than i thought you were going to say 7 it, we tap out at 7
0: 7, seven. something like they were saying, I think that the, I think that the research was done on like jam or something where like you go to a grocery store and there's like 27 different types of jam and there's sugar-free, there's organic, there's, you know, strawberry, there's preserves, you know, with the seeds, without the, whatever, you know, all the choices. And people are just like, they'll walk by the display, they'll look and they'll get overwhelmed and walk away versus if there's seven choices that are like varied enough, then they can make a choice. Yeah. And I I could totally understand that. Like, I think that that makes a hundred percent sense because it's like when I go to Costco or something, and I'm just like, I either I'm gonna buy everything <laughs> in this store, or I am gonna walk out with nothing. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna either spend five hundred bucks at, in one trip, or I'm gonna I have to leave right yeah. now. Yeah.
1: Well, IKEA is the <laughs> IKEA is the one that stresses me out the most because they also build the store where you have to walk through the whole store in order to leave. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: totally. And I
1: I will say I've had actual. Times where I'm sprinting out of Ikea to avoid a panic attack where I'm like, they didn't have yeah. the thing I wanted and it was in section two and I got to yeah. get to the end of section 14 like right now because I can't, I can't look at this <laughs> yeah. many rugs, then vases, then lighting, then bedroom sp- I can't, I can't. Yeah. How am I only at the desks?
0: Get me out yeah. of here. <laughs> It's true. And then the other piece of research that I, I think I mentioned to you before we started recording, but I think that you're hitting upon is the idea of talking to strangers. And there's been research that actually shows that talking to strangers increases happiness and well-being. And it's about that idea that like, if you just insulate yourself with only the people that you know, and your, your close friends and family, you start having this sort of like sense of otherness ab- about other people. And like, Fear can build around that, and so talking to strangers can sort of break down those barriers so I think you're you're getting at two pieces of like legit research that um, that kind of speak to what you've been
1: saying. Yeah. What can I say for a guy who has an American studies degree from a state school I'm stumbling into the cutting edge of sociology <laughs> <it> turns out <laughs> it turns out
0: you are well I want to um, give uh, a chance for one other podcast listener to pose their question to you so let me let me play this for you
1: hey chris so how has your approach to these calls changed since the early days is there anything that you're doing differently now and how about just since cal um since the birth of your son have you uh, has that changed your approach at all? And are there any calls that you uh, wish that you could have another crack at um, that you haven't been able to do so in the follow-ups? Thanks a lot. Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that one, I want to just uh, let you know that that actually is one of your previous callers. So he okay. he's, um, okay. I think it was called the squirrel and the giraffe. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. Old
1: school. That's from a while ago. Yes, my nickname amongst the community was briefly Giraffe because of that episode. And uh, there was a time where our Facebook group almost fell apart because so many people were posting oh, giraffe memes that we had to say, guys, here one thread for giraffe <laughs> stuff. And then we eventually had to say, now we have to – what a ridiculous thing. Only my Facebook group would have to do this. It's like we got to ban giraffe <laughs> images. I'm so sorry, guys. It's like that's that's – Some other Facebook groups, people are like, "We have to stop uh, Nazi uh, images with me." It's like (laughs) no giraffe pictures. That's that's the kind fans I have. Uh, What a great series of questions! I feel like it was three parts, right? How has it changed in general? Then specifically with my son being born, and do I wish I could get a do-over on any of them? I would say in general, there's less jokes. And that's because I think in the beginning, that was my insecurity that I'd been mentioning. I was like, I want to jump in and be the funny one. It's like, no, it's not about me. Get out of the way. It's not about my ego. And they're still there. I I, I still maintain we find at least one laugh an episode, even with the heaviest ones. Um, and it's funny because our we have a new producer who started. My friend Harry uh, got a new gig, and my friend Anita is on the show now. And at one point she was like, oh, I think you're uh, – a." After a a taping, she was like, I think you were making too many jokes in that one, and myself and Jared were just kind of smiling, and I was like, Well, that caller was like not that comfortable and I think maybe felt like she'd overshared and needed a minute and I I'm pretty good at sensing that now, so I made a couple jokes just to kinda have her back and buy her some time. So the use of jokes is now more strategic than ego driven. They're there to cut tension. They're there to buy a caller time. They're there to, you know, give a caller who maybe felt like they just shared something really risky, a moment to release that tension or a moment to just take a breath. So the jokes are more strategic. As far as my son being born, um, in many ways, I feel like in my prior endeavors, my fan base was always a little bit younger than me. They were catching up to me. I realize now I've always been catching up to the beautiful anonymous fan base a little bit. I was... I was still, I forget if my wife and I, oh yeah, we were married, but we were like, you know, like Brooklyn artists still running around, staying out all night, living that life. And now I'm a dad and we moved to the suburbs and, and all the demographics that have always blown my mind about the show. I'm like, now I am catching up to my audience. And I think the obvious one is people have called over the years and talked about situations with their kids and I I think I've always been able to sympathize and now I can empathize and uh there is a pain when something happens to a kid that I didn't really I don't think you can really fathom until it's a consideration in your own life and I'm not trying to be one of these people that's like if you don't have a kid you don't get it but there there are certain things that immediately um immediately hit home more so callers who have called and you know before i had cal i think the call there's a call called love is everywhere that's the call um i mentioned with the the woman whose daughter had cancer most fans of the show point to that one at this point as their favorite and i reconsider that one now in a way that i just didn't have the ability to hear then you know i've had people who've called up and talked about raising kids with disabilities of different types and it just, I connect with it a lot more. I realize that it's a thing that I thought I was empathizing with. I was sympathizing. Now I can actually imagine walking in those shoes a lot more. And that's how my son's affected things. It's kind of a deeper well of empathy for certain types of calls. And then there's a million ones I wish I could do over. I mean, like, there's a bunch. There's, there's only a handful. I would say there's less than 20 calls that we've ever recorded and mm. not aired. Um,
0: And why would, why, like, what were the reasons?
1: I can think of two where the people were expressing things concerning enough that we felt like we needed to encourage them to Mm -hmm. seek help instead and didn't want to, at the end of the day, we are an entertainment podcast. I love giving people a platform to share stuff, especially if it's um hard and they need to get it off their chest, but I'd never want mm-hmm. to exploit that. Two that I can think of where people were in situations where I felt like they will be, this would not be help. This would not make this situation healthier mm-hmm. to have a couple hundred thousand people mm-hmm. hear this. It's going to make it worse.
0: And do, do you have to that, reach out to them to say, hey, listen, we're not, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, one where we reached out and and one where I actually stopped the call halfway through and said, I am with you. I have been in similar yeah. mindsets in my life. And I am telling you, this is not, you know, as someone who has talked a lot about depression, there are people in, there are people who from time to time think that Beautiful and Honest is a replacement mm-hmm. for therapy. And it's not, it's a show that can be therapeutic. Mm-hmm. It's not therapy. I had to stop that one and say, hey, this is, when they told me they were not seeing, seeking actual help in that way i said you have to start there this show can't right. be can't be that and uh then a handful where i think the callers would admit that it was a little boring there was one one person who actually uh reached out to us and said i'm so thankful that you never aired that because i could feel myself oh, wow. dropping the ball and then i would say the large bulk of the ones we never aired is because i putzed mm-hmm. it up somehow i i made too many jokes or i didn't listen or You know, I said, I I, they said something and then I didn't hear it and then they clammed up and didn't want to, and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I get to be Mr. Empathy, but that's also because we don't have to air the ones where I dropped the ball on that. But I would say, you know, over 250 episodes that have aired and I would be surprised if we've even hit 15 that haven't Mm -hmm. in four years. So pretty good track record, but the large bulk of them are the ones I wish I could Mm -hmm. get the do-overs and... As far as any you have actually aired that I wish I handled differently, it's a really good question. I mean, the only hang-up, the only time someone hung up was someone who was talking to me about um, being in recovery from alcoholism, which I am as well, and I was making a bunch of jokes, and they hung up, and I don't know if they hung up. They were calling on their work break, and they said, you know, I don't know if I have a full hour. I don't know if they hung up because they were at work and didn't want to get caught on the phone or if I was making too many jokes and they said, screw this. That one I wish I could get back. And then, if I'm being honest, I'm pretty proud of all the ones that have aired because even in the moments when I've been, one of the things I'm actually proud of is that in the moments when I am ignorant, I think I'm pretty good about going, hey, I'm uh." I'm mm-hmm. dumb. I don't really know what you're talking about. Or I'll say something and I'll go, whoa, 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 you can't say that. And I'll go, oh, shoot, why? Which is, I think in the world, I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to get defensive. And that doesn't mean this person's a snowflake for going, hey, you just said something wrong. I think all, the only responsibility I have is mm-hmm. to go, oh, wait, why? Tell me why. And then I will know why. It, this is a conversation. I'll tell you there's a specific moment that I cringe at, cringe at. Oh my goodness, this was bad, and I apologized for it on the show. So we do a thing at the top of every episode where I take a specific. Let's say somebody was talking about, you know, offhandedly mentioned that they. This is not a real example, but if somebody said, "Yo, I happened to meet my wife at IHOP at the International House of Pancakes," and I'll go, "Hello to everybody who found love at at love amongst pancakes. It's beautiful and I'm And I intro the show every week with a little detail that's like a. A little teaser, a little bit of a tangent. And there was one episode, I think it was the guy who started, he, um, he was asking me if he felt like, if I felt like he should quit his job to buy a record store that he loved that was closing because the owner passed. So I was like, yeah, and he does. He's, it's Culture Clash Records, Toledo, Ohio. Support them. <laughs> He's the best. Uh, but we talked about, there's a phrase, there's people who are really, really obsessed with collecting vinyl records still to the point where they get so addicted that their collections overrun their lives. And there's a phrase where they actually call it black crack because vinyl is black and they're that addicted. It's as addictive as crack cocaine, so they call it black crack. And we were talking about that and joking about it in the episode. And I cannot believe it did not occur to me how this sounded. And to none of the producers, I said, hello to all my black crack addicts. It's beautiful (laughs) anonymous. And then as soon as it aired, people were like, dude, what? And I was like,
0: It's out of context.
1: Wow. We recorded that after we just spent like 20 minutes laughing about how addicted people are and how I knew it was called black (sighs) crack. And he was like, yeah, no, that's a known thing. We all get addicted. It's like as addictive as crack. And then people were going, did you really just make a joke about (laughs) African-American crack? And I went, no, 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 please listen. Please listen. I am dumb and that
0: oh my gosh. was
1: the context of that was different and it and that being said no excuses i need to be smarter than that wow. Ooh, do you thank you for calling me out on that and i apologize the next week on the yeah. show i was like oh my god i was in the facebook group for about the full week just going you have <laughs> to believe me that was i did not even think of those two words oh in gosh. that way we had been discussing it in a whole different way please Please forgive me, but yes, that's a moment that I will cringe at for.
0: Um, well, do you ever edit like the the conversation?
1: Very rarely, and even then, very minimally. Obviously, people slip up and say their names sometimes or their loved ones' names. Uh, we'll we'll do that. Um,
0: outside of that, it doesn't sound like it at all. I just no, it's
1: I I I would say minimal. Well, you know technical stuff some people's phones sometimes they'll be calling from a coverage area there'd be a Mm -hmm. long pause or a lot of static jared will go through and do his best to chop that which is very annoying for him to be like every time you ask a question there's a two second pause so for Mm. an hour i need to go through and remove every two Mm. second pause so it's really really rarely edited for content more for the enjoyment of the listener um especially now in year four that I really think about is I really love how you can go back and listen to episodes from 2016 and people are expressing concerns that they're not today. And there's, it's kind of this, in my mind, one of the things that I'm really hoping is that somebody in the year 2060 might be able to listen to my podcast and find out what people were worried about in 2017. You know, um, people might, you know, even going back to 2016, I think like one of the big issues that you'll hear people talk about with more, and and it's actually coming back now. But gay marriage is a perfect example of like in four years that discussion's really changed, and I'm so I'm so excited about the way it's changed, and I'm praying it doesn't change back. But I like knowing that you can hear in 2016 people were worried about this. Anybody who goes back and listens to 2020, it's going to be like. You're gonna hear everybody talking about COVID and 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 George Floyd and in their own words, though not edited, not produced, not packaged, not boiled down to represent any agenda. Just here's what happened when the world was like that, and here's how people were thinking. I'm really proud of that.
0: Yeah. Well, I um. That's a good segue, because I actually want to ask you for a podcast pick. But before I ask you for a podcast pick, I'm going to actually recommend a podcast for you that's sort of along the same lines, which is StoryCorps. Have you heard? So, of course. I have said,
1: I I bow down to them. I have said so many times, uh, because I'm on the Earwolf Network, and I love so much of what Earwolf does, but I just went in this totally different direction. I've said I've got we have these meetings, right? Where I go, I want to be in the same conversation as like StoryCorps, as the work of Studs Turkle, uh you know, like like I, I'll cite different things. And StoryCorps is always one of the things I say where I'm like, I just uh, I really love it. I and really they're actually
0: archiving, and, I believe, their audio with the Library of Congress. So.
1: I know. I'm jealous. I want to be in the <laughs> Library of Congress, that, but, but yeah. I probably. I probably curse too much and they don't want so many ads for Bomba Socks.
0: <laughs> yeah, Bomba Socks, you know, in 2070 probably are going to be, they're going to be like, what are socks? Like, we don't need socks. We just walk yeah. around barefoot or whatever.
1: Yes. Yeah. We don't walk yeah. anymore. We float. <laughs> we just fly. We float so we don't, so socks and shoes aren't necessary anymore. Um, but yeah, they're in the Library yeah. of Congress. I'm really jealous. I want to be in the library. If anybody has a hookup at the Library of Congress, let me know. Yeah. Let
0: me know. But okay. So then now I want um, your podcast pick.
1: Well, I've said this one publicly a number of times, but it still has not changed. Uh, I know that true crime kind of took over podcasting in the past two years, but one of the early ways in that, I would say, even predating that explosion, is a podcast called Criminal. I'm sure many people know it. It's hosted mm-hmm. by Phoebe Judge, and it, it it comes out. I don't. I I don't even know if they have a set schedule. It's uh, every. I feel like a new episode shows up once every two months, and they are just. Mm-hmm. Very well-researched, well-delivered stories of crime. Some of them are grim. Some of them are funny. But I think it's just exactly what I want out of true crime. It's not trying to scare you. It's not trying to sensationalize. It's just, here's here's what happened with this thing. And she's a fantastic host. And I have ranted and raved about it in the past. I was once embarrassed because the... Uh the A V Club was doing a big feature with a bunch of different podcast hosts and they told her and it was like on video and I they show me ranting and raving about it and then they show they tell Phoebe Judge that and she's just like, Well that's very kind And I was like, Oh god, I feel like the middle school kid who just got rejected at the dance. Oh Aww. god. But that show is that show is brilliant and great and I listen to every episode. It's I think it's the only podcast where I, I generally have listened to every episode twice. Wow. Yeah.
0: You know that she has another podcast called Well, she has a couple of other podcasts, but one of them's called This Is Love.
1: This is Love. And then mm-hmm. Phoebe Reads a Mystery. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I
1: enjoy those and I think she's great, but Criminal has Criminal, criminal holds my heart. Criminal yeah. holds my heart. Yeah. And yeah. then I'm I'm uh I grew up how I did. So I listened to a bunch of pro wrestling podcasts, but those don't you make wanna me look call one it. out? Uh The Art of Wrestling with Colt Cabana is great and uh, something to wrestle with Bruce, Bruce Pitchard. But that, that one is ridiculous because it'll be literally three hours of two guys talking about Jake the Snake Roberts and they don't even <laughs> interview Jake the Snake Roberts. It's just them talking about him for three hours. So that's one of the ones I go to when I'm like, on a, when I'm like I have a long flight with a connection. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll listen to somebody talk about Hacksaw Jim Duggan for two and that's a half hilarious. hours if oh I have gosh. to just wait in an airport yep. terminal. So that one's great for that. I like those. Oh, and then, of course, I mean, everybody loves this one, but uh, I missed the boat on Reply All, and oh, my, so my wife bad. has been getting me into it. And just listen to the, the episode about the, uh, the sex line that randomly shows up on every, have you heard oh, yeah. this one?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's so
1: good. It's, yeah. That show's so good, and I love Death, Sex, and Money, and a Sale. Yeah. Um,
0: Go back and listen to Reply All, Long Distance, I think it was back in the early hundreds, if they're looking at episode numbers, Uh that one is a two-parter, which is like crazy. And then the other one people love a lot is recent-ish in the last six to 12 months. And it's about this guy who has this song stuck in his head and they recreate, he like, nope, they recreate the song.
1: Yeah. And they spend the whole episode trying to track it down. It's insane. It's yeah. so good. And yeah. it's funny because I, when I say I miss the boat, I've listened to it off and on, but okay. now it's developing into one of those go back and listen to everyone you miss. Uh-huh. And I've actually met PJ many years ago, and they did an episode a few years ago that was just what if we opened up a phone line to the entire internet? We got this phone number, we're leaving it open for 24 oh, yeah. hours. And then I had all these people tweeting, "Chris, they stole your idea." Chris, they stole your idea. And I'm like, well, I didn't invent phone calls, You're first right. of all. <laughs> and then I did have some fun, like I, re- I think I retweeted PJ, and he had put out like, "What would happen if we opened up phones to the entire internet?" And I just wrote, "Yes, what if?" Um, but I think he took it with the sense of humor it was intended. And I was clearly, I spent, I think he, I had spent all day being like, guys, it's it's phone calls, like. I stole them from Alexander Graham Bell. Like <laughs> people are allowed to do phone calls.
0: That's hilarious. And Reply
1: All does not need my ideas. They're doing just fine on their own.
0: Um, all right. Well, I want to wrap up on thank you so much for your time. But um, before we do, how can people follow you?
1: You can, uh, Chris Geth on Instagram and Chris Gethard on Twitter. And I would say if you're interested in the podcast, the uh, the number one thing you can do is just join up with that. Uh, beautiful anonymous the community on facebook and i promise you i know facebook is tiresome especially right now election season this is like one little hidden corner of it where it where it it kind of is i think similar kindred to this it's kind of like almost like a book club for each episode people just Mm -hmm. get in discuss what they liked and um other tangential stuff and it's just pleasant so those are the main ways i'd recommend
0: great Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Those
1: were such thoughtful questions.
0: Thank you for listening and being a part of the Podcast Brunch Club community. Do you have any thoughts on our discussion this month? Send a message or voice memo to podcast at podcastbrunchclub.com. PBC is a passion project and we rely on support from our global community to continue bringing people together in person and online. So if you feel like PBC has contributed to your life in any way, please consider becoming a patron or making a one-time donation. Go to podcastbrunchclub.com slash support for more information. If you're interested in becoming an organizational partner, go to podcastbrunchclub.com slash sponsors. A quick thanks to our early partners, Podbean. For one free month of podcast hosting, go to podbean.com slash PBC. Podchaser, the IMDb of podcasts, Listen Notes, a podcast search engine, Critical Frequency, the podcast network for everyone else, The Venn Media, a weekly newsletter for curious minds, and Lantigua Williams & Company, podcast network, telling stories in the seams of society. Finally, some credits for this episode. Katie D'Fiori is our audio editor. Music is from Chad Crouch and Miss Ayal Ghana downloaded from Free Music Archive. I'm Adela, founder of Podcast Brunch Club, and as always, thanks and happy listening.